Well, Valentine's Day is officially passed. And maybe you celebrated it, maybe not. But this past week, I was reading an article about the worst Valentine's Day gifts that you can give someone. And the number one gift on the list was a massive piece of candy. And that's where I stopped reading. Because that is something that I've done before. In fact, I think that was the very first gift I gave to Casey on Valentine's Day when we started dating. See, what happened was I walked into a 7-Eleven, and there it was. A massive bar of chocolate, five pounds of chocolate. Now, young guys, take a note from me. My first red flag with this gift should have been the fact that I was in a gas station. But understand my reasoning at this point. It was a no-brainer to me. I mean, what do you get someone for Valentine's Day? You get them candy. What kind of candy do you get them? You get them chocolate. So what could be better than five pounds of chocolate? And look, it was a Hershey's bar, okay? So I knew it was going to be good chocolate. And so this week, about 15 years after the fact, I asked Casey if that was as terrible a gift as I was now reading about. And her response to me was that it was an awesome gift at first. But as the days turned to weeks, and the weeks turned to months, it became more of a chore for her. You see, Casey was determined to finish this chocolate bar. And so every day she tried to find a new use for it. She would shave it on top of ice cream. She would use it to make hot chocolate. She tried to pawn it off on her family members so that maybe they would help her. Her parents begged her to just throw it away. But she persisted. In fact, she's still trying to finish it today. Now, now look, I like to think that I've gotten a little better at giving Casey presents over the years. I do a lot less gas station shopping, and I think that I'm finally starting to get it. But the truth is, I'm really not a very good gift giver to others. And uh, maybe that's not a problem that you have. Maybe you're great at giving people gifts. But I think we can all agree that there are some people who are hard to shop for. Some people, especially the ones who just seem to have everything that they could want or need. I mean, what do you get someone like that? And believer, have you ever felt that way with the Lord, Christians? Have you ever wondered what you can give to Him? I mean, after all, all things already belong to Him. We saw that last week in Romans chapter 11. And as we turn to Romans chapter 12 today, we're going to see three things that every believer should give to the Lord. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. Romans chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to use one of those Bibles under the seats in front of you. I believe in those Bibles you'll be turning to page 920. Romans chapter 12. Three things every believer should give to the Lord. Now let me just preface it this way. This is not a Christmas sermon. Okay, so I'm not talking about the, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh that the, the magi brought to Jesus. No, these are three gifts that the rest of us need to bring the Savior. And I also want everyone to know this is not a sermon on tithing. So you can unclutch your wallets and your purses. But this is about three things that every Christian should give to the Lord. And these three things, believers, when we give them to God, allow us to live lives unlike everyone else in this world. So let's look together and see what they are. Romans 12, beginning in verse 1. Paul says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And let's stop right there. These two verses are where we are going to spend our time today. Paul begins by saying, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. Now, do we all have that English teacher in school who told us, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to ask, what is it there for? See, there's a reason. Everything Paul is saying has a purpose. When he says therefore, he's saying because of all these things. Well, what things? What's he talking about? It's about all the truths that we've seen up to this point in the book of Romans about God's mercy. All these things have led us to this point in Romans chapter 12. We've seen how in our depravity and sin, we deserve the wrath of hell. It's a just penalty for breaking God's commands. But we've also seen how in God's great mercy towards everyone, both Jew and Gentile, he's opened this door wide to salvation to everyone who comes to Jesus in faith so that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We can be rescued from sin and hell through faith in Jesus. Oh God, God's mercy, it's, it's grand. It's incredible. And as we saw the last couple of weeks, it's through faith in Jesus that we step into that mercy. So based on this, Based on that mercy, based on all that God has given us, the question is, how are we supposed to respond as Christians? And we saw one response last week, which is that we should worship God in song, the same way that Paul did, the same way that we did last week. And now Paul's going to show us another way, a grand form of worship, a deeper commitment, a daily dedication and response from Christians to God. To the God who has given us so much believers, we should respond by giving all of ourselves back to him. Paul says this. Look back in verse 1. He said, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So in light of God's mercy, we should offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. What's that mean when Paul says that? It means that our physical bodies are supposed to be used in a way that's holy, pleasing in God's sight, that brings him glory and honor. So if you've been with us throughout our study, think back to Romans chapter 6. Back in chapter 6, Paul pointed out that before we were saved, believers, we used to offer the parts of our bodies as instruments of wickedness, he said. Well, there are a lot of ways that we can use our physical bodies to indulge in sin as instruments of wickedness. Others. Or to gossip. Take God's name in vain. Use foul language. Or when we use our feet to rush into sinful situations or to put ourselves in places that we know we shouldn't be. I mean, how many people use their hands to hurt people, their eyes to focus on evil, and their bodies to indulge in sexual immorality? Paul says, but you, Christian, in light of all God's mercy to you, give your body every day to do what's right in his sight as an instrument of righteousness. 
so that our tongues would be used to build people up and to share the gospel. So that our feet would rush to serve others and to go where God desires us to be. So that our hands would be used to help and not to hurt. And in all these things, we need to recognize that we can accomplish much for God if we do not allow sin to master us. In fact, on top of all that, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're told that as Christians, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit lives within us. You might remember that. We saw that in Romans. Every Christian... The Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. And back to 1 Corinthians 6, we're told that for that reason, we should honor God with our bodies. You see, the first thing every believer should give to the Lord is that we should give our physical bodies to His purposes and not to the pleasures of sin. Paul said this is part of our true and proper worship. Some translations of the Bible say our reasonable service. Personally, I think the NASB translation brings out the meaning best, what's said here in the Greek, and that, that is, this is our spiritual service of worship. Because you see, as we serve God this way, we also worship Him when we do that. One pastor defined worship as honor and adoration directed to God. I bring that up because we always need to remember worship isn't just when we sing to God. That's not the only way that we worship Him. It's not just when we play great praise music like our band does, and they sure do, don't they? No, no, there's, there's more than that. Our, our voices and our musical instruments, they're one way that we bring praise to God. Paul's saying that another way is when we use our bodies as instruments of righteousness. Because Christians, when we do this, we, we bring praise and glory and honor to God. And that's not all. Paul said this in verse 2. He said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. And when he talks about the world, he's talking about this, this unbelieving, sin-filled culture of our day. Christians, we're not supposed to look like this world or think like this world or act like this world. We're not supposed to fit that mold as much as the world wants us to. And this, this is why the world hates Christians so much. The world hates that true followers of Jesus Christ, true followers of his, are not willing to go along with their thinking and with their living. In fact, we see this today. If you don't live like them, they expect you to at least accept and praise how they choose to live. You see, long gone are the days where Christians could stay on the sidelines, be silent about their faith, avoid and ignore the ways of the world, which we were always wrong to do that, by the way, believers. Today, if you are not actively praising what the world does, in all of its sexual deviancy, its destruction of families, its attempts to confuse children, if you don't fall into the right group, think, they'll come after you. They don't even want your mind to be focused on the things of God. Now, I understand some people might say, that's crazy, Andrew, that the world cares what we're doing in our minds, that they care how we're living that way. So consider this example, and this is just one example. Last year in the UK, a lady named Isabel von Spruce 
was on a sidewalk outside across from a, an abortion clinic. And when she was standing there, she was approached by some police because she was in one of uh, England's censorship zones. Now keep in mind, when Isabel was standing there, she wasn't protesting, didn't have any signs, wasn't yelling. She actually wasn't even talking out loud. She was standing there quietly. Oh, but they suspected that this lady might be praying in her head against abortion. So they went up to her and they questioned her about this. There's video of this. And they questioned what she was thinking. Was she praying? She admitted at one point, yeah, maybe she was praying. So what? Well, so what? So that's all they needed. They arrested her. Took her down to the police station. Showed her pictures of her standing there. They asked her over and over, what were you thinking when you stood there? She admitted that, sure, there were times where she was, in fact, praying about abortion. So they charged her. They charged her for the crime of praying silently in her mind about abortion. She had to stand trial for this earlier this month. Now, praise God, she was acquitted of all the charges. But don't think that this is a standalone case. And don't think that, well, Andrew, that was across the pond. That's never going to happen here. The world doesn't want your mind focused on God, on his goodness, and on bringing him glory. They don't want that. Understand, Christians used to think that if we just stayed silent about stuff, well, the world would just leave us alone. Church, those days are gone, okay? Christians need to decide where we stand. And sadly, there's so many Christians and pastors who are standing in the wrong place. They're proving that they fear man over God. And so many of them are choosing to voice agreement with all sorts of sins of this age, spewing unbiblical thoughts in the name of tolerance. Years ago, one pastor compared things like this to being like a chameleon, which he said takes its color from its surroundings. We know what chameleons do. Chameleons blend in. But believers, instead of blending in, instead of being conformed to the living and the thinking of this lost world that's headed far from God, Paul says we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. See, now that we're in Christ, our thinking needs to be different. Our mindset should be set on things above. You see, the second thing that every believer should give to the Lord is that we should give our minds to Him. So that we would set our minds on those things that please Him. Listen to what Scripture says. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says this. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Oh, and here's one of my favorite ones. Believers, memorize this next verse, okay? Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, whatever's excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now the question is, does that type of thinking describe us, believers? Are our minds given to the Lord and set on his purposes, or are they consumed with the ways and the wants of this world? 
See, now that we're in Christ, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The Greek word for transformed in this verse is the same Greek word where we get our English word metamorphosis today. I'm sure that in school many of us learn about how caterpillars through the process of metamorphosis are transformed into beautiful butterflies. Well, a while ago, Casey and I, we got Judah a little bug-catching kit and a flimsy net and everything. Had, had it all. It just so happens that around that time, we had read him a book about caterpillars turning into butterflies. So naturally, that's exactly what he wanted us to go out and catch. And we looked and we looked for a while and uh, couldn't find any. Caterpillars are a lot harder to spot than I remember. But you know what isn't hard to spot? Butterflies. They were all over the place that day. It's easy to spot the believer who's given his or her mind to the Lord. The believer is being transformed by the renewing of their mind because that person is not concerned with the world thinks. No, their concern is about focusing on what pleases God. A butterfly stands out, and fewer and fewer Christians want to do that today. Sadly, there's too many chameleons and not enough butterflies among followers of Jesus Christ. And Paul said this in verse 2, he said, Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, perfect will. See, here's the thing. When our minds are being renewed and when we're focused on that which pleases God, naturally our actions are going to follow. And those actions will be geared towards those holy things that please the Lord. And as we do this, we'll find that our will, our desires, are, are being lined up with those of our Savior. And then as we step into His will, when we start living His way, we'll see the proof that His will, it's, it's better. It's better than anything that sin promises. It's better than friendship with the world. It's better than any of our natural sinful desires. God's will is better. And we'll realize and we'll see the proof of that when our will lines up with His. See, the third thing every believer should give to the Lord is that we should yield our will to Him. Our wills ought to line up with his. Because look, the truth is, believer, your will, my will, others are sinful, broken. But God's will, it's always good and pleasing and perfect. And we're going to see that truth when we start living his way. That's when we'll find the truth that his yoke is easy, his burden is light, once we start yielding our will to his. A pastor once saw a very unique necklace that a lady was wearing. It's a gold cross. Of course, that in of itself is not unique. I'm sure we've all seen necklaces like that. But on this one, on the, on the upright part of the cross, there were a couple words engraved that said, God's will. And on the crossbar said, my will. And what made this necklace really unique is that at the push of a certain part of the cross, a small spring was activated. And that crossbar turned and disappeared behind the upright bar. And so suddenly, my will was hidden behind God's will. And God's will was all that was left. 
And believers, once we learn to fall in line with God's will, when his will is what's left in our lives, that's when we'll find that the entirety of our living will be different. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to be perfect, but we'll be different. Far different from those days before we knew Jesus Christ as our Savior. Far different from the day when we first gave our life to him, and certainly far different from how the world is living. But it begins with our willingness to give to our Savior our mind, our body, and our will for his purposes. So the question is, what are we going to do, believers? What are we going to do, church? Paul urged his fellow Christians to do these things. Paul knew that we need to choose to do these things that he's talked about. That we have to make the conscious decision to dedicate all of ourselves to our Savior. Let's remember, believers, that our Savior set aside the greatness of his glory and came to this broken world so that he could be rejected, mocked, beaten, whipped, nailed to a cross, take the weight of our sin on his shoulders and die for us. Our Savior who gave everything for us is surely deserving that we would give everything to him. So church, the truth for us this morning is this. Our Savior gave his life for us, and so we should give every area of our lives to him. Every area. That includes our physical actions, includes our thoughts, things that we focus on, and includes the desires that we pursue. And understand that we need to do this daily. This isn't just about making a superficial commitment here today. It's about every day choosing to surrender these things to the Lord. Every day we need to give ourselves over to him and to his purposes, dedicating ourselves to doing what's pleasing in his sight. Then, then we'll live a life different from the world around us. The world won't be able to help but take notice. Many of the world and the people in it, they're going to hate it. They won't be able to ignore it. And as a result, we'll have the opportunity to point many people to Jesus Christ. So if you're here and Jesus Christ is your Savior, then, believer, my encouragement to you is this. As we go into a closing time of prayer and song, I would encourage you to go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to show you what area of your life have you not been surrendering to Him. Maybe it's an area you're still living the way that you once lived before you were saved. Maybe some fresh sin or disobedience that's come into your life that you've been unwilling to let go of and give over to him. In what way are we not living fully surrendered to the Lord? And church, let's dedicate ourselves to surrendering to him each and every day from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep and do it all again the following day. And if you're here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, please understand something. As Christians, we don't think that we're perfect people. Far from it. No, we're not perfect. But we've been saved by a perfect Savior. We're sinners. There's a room full of sinners. But friend, if Jesus isn't your Savior, we want you to understand that Jesus has forgiven us of our sins, and he wants to forgive you of your sins. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, in the moment you give your life to Jesus, he'll forgive you of all your sins. He'll adopt you into his family. He'll pardon you forever from that penalty of hell that we all deserve. 
and will give you eternal life. That guarantee that when this life is over, you'll be with him forever. And friend, if you have never made that decision, I want you to understand during this final invitation song, you can come, you can talk to me. Bring your questions. We'll pray together. But if you want to give your life to Jesus right now, I don't want you to wait another moment. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray together. Friend, if that's where you're at, if Jesus is not your Savior, but you're ready to change that, then understand no matter what you've done, no matter what you're going through right now, no matter those sins that you find are holding you captive, Jesus Christ can wait your whole life to set you free. And if you're finally ready to go to him in faith, then you can follow me in a simple prayer like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. But Jesus, I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you didn't stay in the grave, but you rose from the dead. And Jesus, today I'm asking you to forgive me of all my sins and to be my Savior. And Jesus, today I'm giving you my life, all of it, because I know you can do more with it than I can. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who made that decision, that they'll share it with whoever they're sitting next to before they leave, so that that person can rejoice with them. I pray that if there's anyone here who still hasn't made that decision, that they wouldn't leave without talking to somebody about these truths. And Father, for those of us who have, who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, help us to remember that you, you called us to live a different life now. You called us to live a life for you, which means surrendering our actions, our thoughts, our will over to you. And Father, sometimes we fall into this mindset that it's just going to be too hard to do that. Or that if we do that, we're going to miss out on so many things that we want. We forget that you, we would experience the joy that we were made for, the relationship with you that we were made for. We'll find that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So I pray, Father, if there are any of us as Christians who are here today and there are parts of our lives we haven't surrendered to you, I pray that that's what we would do during this invitation song. That we go to you in prayer, we come to the altar, that we pray with one another, and that once we've surrendered to you, we get ready to break out in songs of praise. So that you'd be honored and glorified in this place and in our lives. Father, we love you. You proved long ago when you sent your son to this earth that you love us more. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.